At Morgan Stanley, old school hard work meets bold new thinking. At 88 years old, we still see the world with the wonder of new eyes, helping you discover untapped possibilities and relentlessly working with you to make them real. Old school grit, new world ideas. Morgan Stanley. To learn more, visit morganstanley.com slash why us. Investing involves risk. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, the month ahead for stocks, what it will hold for your money after a volatile August. The Investment Committee sizing all of that up. Joining me for the hour, Josh Brown. Joe Terranova, Jenny Harrington, check the markets first and foremost as we get back to business in September here. Take a look at stocks. Dow's negative. We've been pretty much negative for the session. Um, you know, Jenny, September's historically weak, we know. We're coming off a bit of a pullback in August, though. The way that the month finished off leads, leads you to believe that the momentum isn't lost. In fact, it may be found um, once again. So what do we think about where we might go here? Well, I think we're still stuck in a range, right? And I think that's where we're battling with the emotions of feeling better about things because we're getting to the end of rate hikes. We're seeing corporate earnings there better than we expect. I think, frankly, the consumer is holding up quite better. We're seeing Goldman say things like, hey, we're actually decreasing the chance of recession. So we have all these positives that make us feel better, but then we're fighting the math on it. And the math is that I don't see how corporate earnings get above $240 a share. I don't see how the multiple on the S&P gets above 20 times. With that, you've got a pretty heavy cap on the market. So I think we're kind of stuck in this range for a while, and it might just take a lot of time to get out of it. I think investors are really impatient. Everybody wants everything to happen right away, but there's so much that we still need to digest. We're digesting 18 months of rate hikes. We're digesting the Fed reducing their balance sheet. We're digesting the Inflation Reduction Act, putting money back in. We're digesting unemployment levels that that are changing. We're digesting inventories. Everything's kind of distorted. We want it to happen all at once. We want to get back to that high growth, but I think it's really hard to do that. So I think we're stuck. Joe, are we stuck? I think the best thing that happened is that the market rallied 4% from the August 18th low because you've built in a little bit of a cushion if, in fact, September lives up to uh, its reputation as being the worst month for equities. Um, I I do think Jenny's on to something. I think right now is a time to exhibit patience. We've already priced in the fact that the Federal Reserve is not going to be cutting rates in September. The Fed funds rates probability 93% of no rate hike. So that's not the premise. So really, what are you pricing risk assets on in the month of September? And it is what are earnings going to look like? What's the expectations for earnings in the here and now? The problems for the market remain. Mm -hmm. Where are Treasury yields? The U.S. dollar at its highest level since March. And oh, by the way, oil now trading at $87. That's a little bit of an uncomfortable price. I mean, earnings expectations for this quarter, you know, are ticking positive, right? So you got to live up to that. Do you think the market is adequately pricing? Forget about the idea of cuts. Do you think the market is adequately pricing in the idea that the Fed may be done and that they might not do anymore? I mean, if you listen to Waller, um, data, data doesn't say we need to do anything imminent. The last week allows the Fed to proceed carefully. You know, Bostic last week said rates are high enough. If that starts to become the prevailing chorus from the Fed, do you think the market has adequately priced all of that in? 
I, I don't think at the end of the day it really should be mattering um, to investors. Well, it matters for rates. If you, you, you highlight where rates are, yeah, but, rates matter more than anything. But I think we're, we're, we're beginning to grow comfortable with the premise that rates are going to stay higher longer than we expected. And I, I think what that ultimately means is maybe there's not the upside potential for equities that we previously thought because you've got this you know, competition coming from bonds and from yields on the other side of that. Um, but I, I just don't think the Federal Reserve is, is the variable anymore. I think there are other exogenous factors that could affect the pricing of risk assets coming from the macro, the weakness in China, the weakness in Europe, which is going to lead to a strong U.S. dollar. And again, oil prices, last couple of weeks, oil prices have really come out of nowhere. What is that going to factor into the inflation equation? Okay, save the oil and energy conversation for a bit, because we're going to go deep uh, on that, as that sector is the only positive today. It was the only positive in August. All right, Josh, we turned the page. Here we go. We're back to work. Uh, summer's unofficially over. What do we do from here? I Goldman never stop working, Scott. Uh, right. Goldman's hot seas cuts the recession odds down to 15%. Waller, I Wait. mentioned his comments today on the tape. What's the environment now for stocks as we head into the fall? Uh, I think it's tough. I think it's tougher only because we are already in sell the news mode. And I think that that's really what August was all about. I don't think that it resets the bull market. I don't think that it materially puts us in a different environment. I still think the bull is intact for a variety of reasons. But it's just it's going to be harder to come by gains because stocks are not coming off those extremely lower levels. And the surprises to the upside get a little bit tougher. And that's why I think we, we get more into a sell the news environment. But. You know, I, I don't want to do too much on energy here. I talked about it this summer as the big underperformer, but the place to look for where the, where the puck is heading next. I still very much believe that. These stocks look like they're all on the verge of big multi-year breakouts. I'll, I'll put a pin in that. I do want to um, mention what Joe was saying about the dollar is really important. We don't really talk about the dollar a lot on this show. But the dollar versus stocks has been one of the most reliable uh, inverse correlations uh, in, in, in the macro environment of the last couple of years. And I'm not like a huge macro person, but when you look at the charts, it's, it's undeniable. The dollar hit its low for all of 2023 in July. It was down 4% on the year, which is for a currency uh, material. The S&P 500 peaked within two weeks after that low for the dollar was in. The dollar started bouncing, coinciding with the sell-off for stocks in August. The dollar is now 5% off that July low, and the S&P is about flat from that level. So there is a very strong inverse correlation there, and if you've got reason to believe that the dollar is going to continue to strengthen or, or not fade away again, it's another thing that makes it a little bit tougher uh, for, for stocks, for index-wide for, for stocks, not for every company. And so I think we should be aware of that, and maybe we should be talking more about it. Joe, Last thing, yeah. season, seasonally, seasonally. Yeah. You're going to hear people be like, oh, September is the worst month on average, going back to 1950. It's the worst month in any given pre-election year. Okay, that's well and good, but stocks bottom in September a lot of the time, or, or, or we've gotten trend changes uh, as a result in, in late 
uh, period September. So there's a lot of different ways to data mine the seasonality, but I think all things being equal, uh, fall is, is usually better than August, and that's the way I feel right now. And, you know, Joe, the other point is that, you know, September is not always so terrible when you come into it the way we've come into it this year, yeah. where you've had a nice run. Yes. Now, so you got two opposing views that I want to get your, your thinking on. Ed Yardeni essentially says this is the ideal economy for Powell, right? Some have suggested that the data of late was Goldilocks-like. But then there's Mike Wilson, who, as you know, has been negative, who's been saying the price is wrong. That's been his whole call. All along, the price is wrong. It doesn't match what earnings are going to be, where yields are, et cetera. And that's today. It's all about price. We think the pendulum swung too far this summer and that a risk-off complexion is likely with us in September. We recommend defensive growth within cyclicals. We prefer industrials. What's your take? So I think Mike could be right for the month of September, but the, the problem is, is you tend to you tend to mute the voices where the information that they're providing in, in the present is not giving you the much value. There's been other times where Mike has been incredibly value in the, in the information that he's dispensing. But let's be clear, over the course of this year, that's what makes a market. I just disagree with m what Mike's view is overall. You're in the saying, month of you're, September... You're, you're, you're saying because he's been wrong this year that take what he says in September with a grain of salt. That's why I paraphrase it. Ab absolutely. I would agree with that, but I would also say he's probably got the highest probability in the month of September to be correct based on the seasonality. Now, I'll say one other thing about the seasonality. You began to mention it. Bank of America put out a phenomenal note. When you are up 10 to 20% for equities through the month of August, you have a 93% success rate, the remainder of the year being higher, with an average return of 7.8%. So I understand what Mike's saying, but I'll say this. I don't want to go defensive. I don't believe in going defensive. I think what you have to do is you have to be diversified. And towards what Josh was mentioning, you have to look at areas of the market where maybe you haven't seen the performance so far year to date. And I think those areas could be, we'll talk later about the sector we mentioned at the top of the show. But beyond that sector, I think okay. you can look into financials. I think it, you could look at other sectors and opportunities like in healthcare. And I think you are exploring for what's been missing in 2023. And that's my favorite word, dispersion. We haven't had it. What, what, is, what is defensive growth? What would you characterize, Joe, defensive growth as? Some would say defensive growth is mega cap. I can give you some. Uh, What's defensive growth? I'm not saying that he is, but if you say go defensive and, and be in defensive growth, that's one of the reasons why people would make the argument that they've been in mega cap. Yes. Let, let me answer that real quick, because I, I, I think a lot of times we, we, try to, we try to communicate an answer that we know exactly what everything is. And quite candidly, I don't know what defensive growth means. I'm sorry. I, I don't know how you could show me statistically how I could be positioned towards defensive growth in the market. I'm, but I'm telling you what we've heard from people for the last at least eight or nine months is that mega cap provides you the growth you want and it's also a bit of a defensive play. Their balance sheets are good, sitting on tons of cash. Am I wrong? I mean, I'll give you defensive. I don't think you're wrong, but I think I think the thing is it's hard to say defensive growth and say, oh, go with this sector. But I can pick out from our portfolio, and we've done this recently because we were kind of in the same thought process. Here are companies that 
I see as defensive growth. What? So you've got Cisco Systems, right? It's one of the cheapest tech stocks. It's trading at, at 13 and a half times earnings, which is completely different. But they have growth coming, and it's measurable and predictable, and it doesn't matter What's which the growth? What's the, what's the rate? What's okay. the what's the rate of growth? Single digits, which is which is to me defensive growth. Then I've got other things where there's growth deviating from the cycle, right? So you've got Marriott, for example, where there's pent up demand from international and travel. Japan starting to travel again. So that's a company that I think is defensive growth because it's off it's off the radar. You've got my New York Community Bank Corp trading at eight times earnings, but with the acquisition of Signature, suddenly their earnings start growing at 20%. So to me, the defensive growth is company by company saying, where does the growth deviate from the cycle? Or you've got Northrop Grumman trading at 18 times, but we know that we know that they're going to continue to grow. We know where that growth is coming from. United Rentals, which is really interesting. The infrastructure bill like actually really keeps their earnings going. They're trading at 11 times. You had me until so that, you got to Northrop Grumman because yeah, the stock has has been bad. Right. The other ones, though. But, but it's always about what goes on from here. I hear, but let's look at Cisco again year to date. Because, okay. you know, Joe, you sort of questioned it, but it's not like that stock, we have Cisco, um, it's not like, yeah, stock's up 20.5% year to date. Still only trading at 13.5 versus the rest of the group. Joe, I mean, you act like, well, where's the growth? I mean, I don't know. If, you're, if you've been in Cisco, you've been pretty happy this year. Well, I'm, what I'm questioning is the revenue growth, the consistent revenue growth at a double-digit pace. That's what I'm looking at. I'm looking, when I think of growth, I think of companies that are growing 15 to 20%. I think of companies that are growing over multiple quarters, 15 to 20%. Look, I just think, I, I want to be in growth. I want to be in growth. I want to be in growth where companies are profitable. But I think we make a lot of this stuff up. What happened to mega caps being bond proxies? They're not bond proxies anymore? Now that yields have moved higher and bonds have had a difficult 18 months, they never we no longer think of them. Proxies. Okay, but that's what I'm saying. I just think we make a lot of this stuff up sometimes. I'm not saying necessarily you, but I, I just think it's a little bit more simple than that. Is the company profitable? Yes. Is the company growing at 15 to 20 percent? Yes. Then to me, it's growth. Defensive growth? I don't know. That's that's complicated. All right, Josh. So speaking of growth, hey buddy. And, spe and speaking of uh, mega cap. Uh, Krinsky, Jonathan Krinsky, BTIG, cautious on the cues. Uh, you know, there, were, there are some who would suggest as tech goes, so goes the market. Mega cap tech, so goes the market, at least in the environment that we were in. Are we still in that environment? Do, do our hopes hang once again on mega caps saving us, so to speak, in September and October? I mean, you could be as cautious on the cues as you want, but we all know what's going to happen. We're going to get into the next earnings season, which will start, I don't know, eight weeks from now. And guess who's going to have the biggest share of, of the earnings? Like, it, it's the same story over and over again. So could, these, could, the, could, could you say that these stocks have already run enough this year to justify this year's earnings growth? You totally could. Like, in most, like you could look at Meta and you could say, yeah, they're growing earnings again. They're a lot more profitable now than they were last year. And revenue is growing too, and that's great, but the stock is more than doubled. So like at, at a certain point, you have to look at that and just be like, all right, yeah, it matches the, the share price matches up with the growth outlook. There's no opportunity left. You could do that, and it's been right to do that at certain times in the past. The problem is, you know Meta's coming in this fall, and they're just going to absolutely destroy it on earnings again. And the bears hate this. The stock will rally off of already high expectations. It's a pattern that dates back, I, I think we're watching like 10 years of this. So these companies have like one or two bad quarters every three years, 
But for the most part, like if you're an earnings-driven investor, you can't ignore these stocks. You could be underweight. Um, you, could, you, could, you could decide that there are other places with the same growth and lower multiples, and that's where you want to focus fine. But you can't act like these stocks aren't delivering fundamentals because they are. Right. Let's get, you know, I got word uh, just before the show of, of a new buy of yours, Josh, and it is growth. And you can tell us whether you think it's defensive growth maybe, or maybe it's growth. However, it's, it's Zoom. No. Zoom, Zoom yeah, is a new it's buy. Not, is that, it's not defensive, that's defensive growth. growth. Yeah. <laughs> Zoom. Your new buy. Why? Can I have a. Yeah. It's a trade. Can I have a chart, please, while I'm talking? Uh, one year will suffice. Uh, Zoom is breaking out of a six month consolidation. Uh, I make the high point about $73, $74 a share. You can see that that was the peak in late March. Uh, once again, it struggled in the low 70s in May. Once again, it struggled uh, 73.92 in July. It's breaking above that level right now. This is purely on technicals. However, there was something fundamental that forced me to look at the chart. Uh, my, I have 60 employees, uh, my firm, and we were working with uh, Ring Central. And Ring Central customer service has been not great, let's just say. I have no opinion on the stock. I'm not telling anybody you know, to short it or sell it. Um, but we were out there in the enterprise market looking for a competitor, and it was amazing. We were already working with Zoom on an enterprise level for video, for client meetings. Um, but Zoom had a really competitively priced product. And if you know anything about the advisor industry, firms have been paying billions of dollars in fines to the SEC for not using official communications channels with uh, especially texting during the pandemic. All the big firms, JP Morgan, Goldman, go down the list, billions, 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 because they had people using their own phone numbers texting clients, which obviously is not compliant. That's since been cleaned up in the big firms. I think the focus will turn to uh, RIA firms, for example, broker, smaller broker-dealers. Everybody needs compliant telephony solutions. Zoom is playing heavily in a market that I didn't really understand how well they were doing. So it's a technical breakout, my opinion. I could be wrong. They're a late earnings reporter. Earnings aren't, uh, uh, earnings aren't out yet. Um, but I think, I think technically uh, the stock could get back to 100 unless they have some sort of bad news between now uh, and the next time they report. Um, but if it goes against me, I'll be out relatively quickly. So I don't want anyone to think like I'm, I'm getting married to Zoom. I've traded the stock in the past successfully. I'm back in the trade right now. Gotcha, Joe. So he hearing Josh's is trade, I'm, I'm just wondering if these basket of stocks that we could think of as growth stocks that are not profitable, if in fact to where you began the show, Scott, which was that the Federal Reserve is done, that they are no longer going to be raising rates, I wonder if the opportunity is actually in a lot of these unprofitable growth companies jo hey, Joe, that we've hey, kind Joe, of forgotten can about. I stop you? Sure. Can I, can I stop you? Yeah. Uh, Zoom is trading uh, 16 times forward earnings. This is not an unprofitable. This is not an unprofitable stock. Nobody, people stopped following this and gave up on it. Uh, Zoom is not the same Zoom as it was three years ago. Okay. And, and I think, but I think the point is important that Joe's making, which is just like swap out of what we've been talking about all year and move into the maybe underappreciated, less appreciated. And I think when we go back to Mike Wilson's note, where he says 
you know, it's a risk off complexion and we recommend defensive growth. When, it, when he's talking about risk off, all he's saying is money may move out of what we perceived as the most risky, may move into other areas. That collectively may not take money out of the market. So it's interesting, Josh, on the Zoom call, because maybe you took money out of something that, you know, to fund that purchase. Maybe you took money out of something that had grown too big in your portfolio, that was overweight, that was previously perceived as risk on, and you're moving into Zoom because you're saying, hey, this thing's trading, you know, under 20 times earnings, actually has growth ahead, it's totally underappreciated. So I think we're looking at more just like a swapping of dollars, and this is really the perfect example of where they might move into. Are you saying, Josh, I mean, Joe, are, are you suggesting that the Kathy Wood type names? Maybe they get some relief mm. because they, they have not been certainly um, since November of First thing 2021. I about, obviously, I think everybody else. Yeah, thought and that's the same that's thing. that's exactly what I'm thinking of. And and Josh is citing, um, I think the the forward earnings. Josh, it's forward earnings on Zoom, right? Not current earnings. No, it's the, current. It's like uh, they're the actually right now. profitable now. But guys, guys, this is important. This is important. This is $75 stock, where consensus estimate for calendar next year, $4.66. Um, even if they fall shy of that. There are not a lot of, I don't know if this is a mid-cap or a large-cap, I guess it depends on who you talk to. There are not a lot of companies of this size that are as profitable and as low of a price-to-sales uh, ratio and a, and a forward PE. So I, I'm not, I don't own it on earnings because I might not be here that long, but this is a price-to-sales of, of five, and that's backward-looking. Uh, and, and company is like actually growing profitably. So it's, look, it, it's been left for dead. I understand why it would get associated, Joe, with, with the Kathy Woodstocks, and I think she does own it right now. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's not the same Zoom as we were trading in 2020 when it was like a work from home. It is morphed into an enterprise uh, software name and I think is currently being valued as such. This mm -hmm. is not a nosebleed valuation. So, but it, okay, but that's fair. And, and, and I, listen, let's get past Zoom for a second. I think the premise that I'm, be, I'm suggesting. Well, let's use it as a proxy for yeah, what you're suggesting. So is there, and I'm asking the question, and I'm not there currently, but when the Federal Reserve stops and there is the pause, and maybe there's the indication that they're going to begin to cut, do those type of names begin to come back into favor once again? Or are those names forever put on the shelf and just beneficiaries of the pandemic and beneficiaries free money. Of, the of free money in the time. I, that's, that's, that's all. No, I'm I think it's a valid question. And I think uh, is there a, a tolerance yeah. in this market for, you know, for the foreseeable future for stocks that are not profitable? I don't Period, think, end of story, no matter what the environment is. I really don't think for those that are not profitable, because for those that are not profitable, a higher for longer, even if it's not higher from here, but a high for longer interest rate environment continues to be really, really to the, problematic to their businesses because they have coasted and depended on free money to sustain them. So you need to pick through the Kathy Woods kind of portfolio and find the Zoom, which is the gem, which is the gem in that portfolio. So I think broadly, you can't say that, but I think as with we've seen, you know, coming out of the dot-com. Well, she's got others. Let's be fair. I mean, she's, no, no, she's I'm got looking at it right stocks. now. I'm looking at the top holdings. There's also Shopify and Unity and Exact Science and UPath. I don't even know what it is. UiPath, Block, Zoom, Roku. So there's some, but you need to pick through that. You can't just say, hey, the whole portfolio is great because some of it remains unprofitable. But I think it is like the environment coming out of the dot-com collapse where there were so many that were blown up. 
There are so many that 30 years later, right, almost are, yeah, more, right, 30 years later, 20, sorry, dot-com was 01, um, are still nowhere, are still like nothing, but there were a few in the rubble that were gems, okay. and I think you, I think they're hard to so, find. So uh, we'll keep our eye on Zoom, uh, obviously. Uh, highs of the day for that stock. I should also note NASDAQ's now positive, and the rest of the market coming back too. So we'll uh, watch all of that. We'll take a quick break. Coming up, our chart of the day. We already mentioned this one sector that is positive today. It's energy leading the way, coming off its third straight positive month. We'll debate now if these stocks are indeed ready for a breakout. We're back after this. It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions. Edward Jones, who knows that just like life, financial planning isn't only about long-term goals. It's about the moments big and small along the way. And when it comes to achieving everyday financial goals, Edward Jones works hard to connect you with someone you can trust professionally and personally. That's why they created their free financial advisor matching tool to help you find a financial advisor in your community. When you take the quiz and get your matches, don't expect just a list of resumes. You'll also see each financial advisor's story and personal interests. And when it's time to meet for the first time, they'll focus on your story, asking questions to understand where you're headed and why. Because Edward Jones knows that at the end of the day, behind every financial goal is a life goal. And that's what really matters. To learn more and find your financial advisor partner, take the quiz at match.edwardjones.com. Welcome back. Our chart of the day, it's energy because it's leading the S&P 500 today, trying, by the way, for its seventh straight positive session. Today's gains coming after Saudi Arabia extended its oil cuts through the end of the year. Joe, I'm going to go to you first here. Um, So we're on pace for oil to have its eighth straight day of gains. The sector obviously has woken up. Is it uh, for real? Is it for real? So you're going to have to accept more risk if you are looking at the spot price of oil and trying to invest accordingly in energy equity names. And let me give you an example of exactly what I mean by that. So far quarter to date, the spot price of oil is up 22%. The XLE is up 12%. If you think that you're going to be able to invest in energy through ExxonMobil and Chevron, you're going to be disappointed you're going to have to accept a higher beta exposure in energy to capture the breakout in the spot price yes. of oil. Why? So it's going to why? be- Tell me why. Tell me why you say that. What, what has happened right now is that the price of oil is moving with such strong momentum. What you need to be positioning towards is companies that, number one, have been underperforming while crude has been in a sideways range, and number two, have a higher sensitivity to the spot price of oil rallying and therefore having an accretive impact on their revenues. ExxonMobil, Chevron, they're more well diversified. So a more significant move in the spot price of oil up or down is not going to have more of the impact that a lot of these high beta names, like a Pioneer, 
like a Hess, like Apache, like Philip 66, or Schlumberger, or Halliburton is ultimately going to have. So all I'm saying is, if you're looking at the spot price of oil and think you're going to get the same 20%, that spot oil is giving you, mm-hmm. just understand you have to accept more risk. You have to go higher beta in your energy exposure. Chevron XL Mobile, not getting it done. Josh? Totally agree. Joe is right. Um, there are times when you want to be in the integrateds because they have fortress balance sheets and they're paying huge dividends. They could buy back stock when the market is volatile. And that trade actually worked really well last year. Um, I think if you're a bull on energy, it's 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 time to uh, it's time to stop jumping out of the basement window with a parachute. If you actually want to make something on this trade, you're going to have to scale down in market cap. You're going to have to scale up in beta or or risk of volatility. And I think you want to be more biased toward domestic names. You want to be more biased toward small and mid cap uh, because those are the names that really have the most to go up. If you're constructive on oil and you end up being right, so I'm an IEO. And I've been in this for a while, and uh, I underperformed the XLE, as I mentioned. But now that's starting to switch. Over the last six months, this thing is leading. And what this basically is, is a portfolio of all of the non-majors. Uh, it's, and it's got some big companies in here. Um, but the companies that are actually producing oil, and you know, Conoco is the, is the biggest weighting. It's 18%. But then you have Pioneer in here. You have Hess. You have Chenier, Phillips 66. Look at, um, look at the valuation here. You're, you're paying less than 10 times uh, forward earnings for the portfolio right now based on forecasted uh, earnings for, for the group of stocks. Uh, it's, it's 0.77 times forward sales. And you're basically getting a, a forward dividend yield, forecasted of course, of six and a quarter percent. And you're going to get that high beta trade uh, as, as energy prices go higher and people try to buy the stocks to capitalize. Take a look at a three-year chart. You could see $102, uh, $105, that range. That was the top in November of 22. Yeah. I think we're going to take that level out to the upside. And this will be a bona fide technical breakout. And these are very cheap stocks. Okay. Jenny? Well, I'm the basement window parachute jumper, right? So, uh, so most of our energy is in the midstream space. So enterprise products, energy transfer, Kinder Morgan Williams. So I really still like that play. And all this, all this kind of bullish scenario does for me is say like, yeah, you're going to get your eight or nine percent dividend yields on those stocks. That's what I want them for. But I think, um, I think there's an interesting point where, where Josh, you said play domestic, play small, play mid. We're actually, in our international income strategy, we're in Total and Shell. And I think that's an interesting play, too, because you have all the growth there, right? You've got all the security of the, Shell, of the Exxons and, and, um, and Chevrons, but they're trading at almost half the multiple of their U.S. counterparts just because they're domiciled overseas. So, like, that's actually a great way to play. I would look international, and I would still say, stay large integrated. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think I think that's it. You guys covered just about everything. Right. Jenny, they're always Jenny, they're always cheaper than the U.S. majors, and it's not just because they're domiciled overseas. It's because they're domiciled in governments that are hostile to profitability. Josh, 
I know that, but the price differential, the valuation okay. differential is too wide for right now. It should narrow. I think that there's, if you want to get into the whole international play, like there's extra add, add from there. <laughs> it's a great way to play them, and they have huge, juicy dividends too, so you maybe get your cake and eat it there too. Sorry, okay. I do want to say one thing. Just on your beta part, I think it's interesting. If we think back to what Pioneer said earlier in the year, they said at $60, oil will pay out about a 5% dividend, at 80 will pay out about 11 So you really see how some of those guys are tied to the oil price and how much more profitable they are at these levels. Okay. You good? Yeah. All thanks. Right. All right. Silvana now has the headlines. Hi, Silvana. Hey, Scott. All right, a federal court once again threw out Alabama's proposed congressional map. This comes just months after the Supreme Court also ruled the current map diluted black voting power in the state. The panel of three judges said the latest map from Alabama's Republican-led legislature did not comply with orders to create a second majority black district. They ordered the next map be independently drawn. Jury selection is underway this morning in the trial for former Donald, uh, for former President Donald Trump's advisor, Peter Navarro. Navarro faces contempt of Congress charges for ignoring subpoenas from the House committee investigating the January 6th insurrection. A judge dismissed Navarro's attempts last week to drop the charges when he claimed the former president invoked executive privilege to prevent Navarro from testifying. And the Capitol doctor said Senate leader Mitch McConnell's health episodes show no evidence of being strokes or seizures. McConnell froze up last week during a press conference. That's the second time in as many months that he froze up while speaking in public. Scott. Silvana, thank you. Silvana Hanau up next. We'll hit our calls of the day, starting with one stock off 30 percent from its recent high. One analyst thinks it's recent bad news. Now it's mostly baked in. Jenny owns it. We debate it next. It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions. All right, calls of the day starting with Disney. Reiterated, overweight, Wells Fargo. The target, though, cut to 110. The stock's down 31% from its 52-week high. We've talked about it a lot lately. Mm-hmm. So Jenny, much. you own it. I know you can't wait to talk about Love it again. It. But what about this call? So I think I think it's rational. Bad baked in is yeah. essentially the call. Right, and it's kind of what I've been saying for the last couple of weeks, which is when things are ugly and there's a lot of turmoil in there, Harry, that's where you start to find opportunity, where bad, where there's just what more bad news can come. But like, if you look just at the numbers here, if you look at parks, experiences, and, and uh, products, it's $9.4 billion of operating income. That was up 19% year over year, which is really impressive. If you exclude everything else, media, media movies, you've got it trading at 20 times EBITDA. So let's say it's trading at 20 times EBITDA, just, you know, just the parks, then you're ignoring the fact that it's got 200 million streaming customers, and that's 22 billion of revenues. You're ignoring the network, which, yes, Bob, Iger declared linear dead, but it's still generating $7 billion of earnings. You're ignoring the movie studio. So you step back from all that. You look at where it is now. You're like, all right, it's 16 and a half times earnings. It's a 5% free cash flow yield. If the, I think the analysts, kind of like they were with Facebook at this time last year, Meta, sorry, are really ignoring the cost-cutting story here. If they can cut costs, 
if they can get to $7 of earnings, if you put a 20 times multiple on that, you get to $140, that is significant upside, even if it takes three years to get there. I'm sitting here being patient because that's the math that works for me. Joe, if you bought this thing at the high, you're mad. If you look at it today, are you optimistic that you get in here, bad's baked in, and the stock recovers. Okay, so here's what I see with Disney. I know Jenny doesn't look at this stuff, but it's very close to the March 18th, 2020 low at 79.07. That break below there, you're at the lowest level since the fall of 2014. So you have the technical factor. It obviously looks awful. Uh, the dispute that's currently going on with Charter, it just signals to me that Disney cannot raise fees anymore on the cable TV providers. And that just signals that they do have to recreate themselves. They have to reinvent themselves. And this is about streaming and the dominance of streaming and the future of streaming, which has put pricing power in the consumer's hands. If you were, uh, if you were a college student right now and you were able to launch your own business, you were gonna be a streaming surgeon. You're gonna come to my house and every other older, individual who really doesn't know how to make the transition to streaming, you'd make yourself a lot of money right now because I think that's in fact the position that consumers are in. They just need to understand how it is they can pick and choose from a, me a menu of streaming and move away from the cable TV providers. And that's problematic for Disney and it just means Disney has to recreate themselves. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean your math is wrong. It doesn't mean the stock goes significantly lower from here. It does mean, in my opinion, that you are going to have to wait. But here's my, my only issue is with your word recreate, where it's evolve, right? And I think we've seen really successful companies like Disney be experts at evolution. And recreating is becoming something different. Disney, and particularly with Bob Iberger at the helm, like you got to give them credit for, for evolving. And this is what I said a few weeks ago. I think it's like New York City. You don't bet against New York City when they're in the dumps because New York City will evolve and just become something else. It doesn't recreate. And I think that's where we are with Disney. Their clients are too loyal. Their brands are too excellent. The business is too good. It will evolve and it will just become a better version of its existing so. Whether you're evolving or recreating, it still takes time. And I Fair think enough. that's what this is about. Fair enough. All right. Next stock we want to do is American Express, uh, upgraded to outperform at RBC. Jenny, I'll come to you first on this. Uh, price target goes to 200 from 197. So not a huge bump, but it does get an upgrade to outperform. What do right. we think? So I think it's really interesting. AXP. I think that the note was particularly interesting because what they started to do was say, hey, here's how the consumer behavior is. And there's this new rule coming that says there's a there's going to be a minimum of, an, sorry, a maximum of an $8 late charge, right? And so that's going to that's gonna hurt and help different credit card companies differently. So because Amex has a higher end client base, a more corporate client base, just like the higher end retailers, like we saw, you know, we see Lulu with good numbers, we see Walmart and Dollar, well, more Dollar General struggling. Mm -hmm. We're seeing that within this credit card space and that's what this note's about, where they're saying, hey, Synchrony and Bread, right, that work with lower end consumers, they're having a tough time, they were downgraded. American Express, their client is actually holding up, they're they're in, and the share price doesn't reflect that. So I think it's an interesting, broad, like broader perspective note. Hey, Joe, Lulu got upgraded today. Um, it's been on underperform at Bernstein. They take it off. They go to market perform. Target goes to 366. They say the expectations versus reality gap has been our biggest concern. It's finally correcting. Okay. We think about that. I think Disney, uh, Disney, I think Lululemon has been a core holding for the better part of the last several years. I think you are seeing a remarkably 
balanced and well-diversified outperformance, whether you measure them by channels, whether you measure them by geography. Um, this is a company that has taken itself and put itself in a position when you're speaking of retail mm -hmm. where they are the premier brand. And they're doing so in an environment where a lot of their competitors are underperforming in critical markets like China, like the U.S., they're not. Yeah, yeah, I mean, these guys have been wrong. I mean, the stock, you know, they had a, a nice rebound. Um, their, their target is below where the stock currently trades, so take it for whatever it's worth. We'll take a quick break. Arming up is next. SoftBank-owned chip designer Arm kicking off its IPO roadshow. And what is expected to be the largest public offering in a number of years? We'll debate the state of semis, how to play that, and the others. We're back right after this. All right, we're back. Chip design company Arm kicking off its IPO roadshow today. The company is seeking a valuation of more than $50 billion. We're talking about semis. We're going to talk about Arm, but we'll use it as a vehicle to talk about this trade because the SMH is coming off its best week since mid-July. Josh, you first. Arm, want a piece? No. Uh, I would personally be avoiding it. Um, I think that there's a little bit of sleight of hand going on here. Nothing, nothing like corrupt, just a little bit gross for my tastes. So uh, SoftBank owns most of this. There was a deal in the works where NVIDIA was going to buy the company. That deal was quashed by uh, all of the antitrust authorities around the world. Okay, fine. Uh, SoftBank's vision fund is in trouble. They need liquidity. They, they, all they do is take L's. This is an example of something that's got some value. So this is not a great time for investors to buy ARM. It's a great time for SoftBank to get liquidity on ARM. And if you don't understand the difference between those two things, you don't belong in the IPO market. This is a company with negligible year-over-year -year growth, $2.5 billion in, in profit, and they want a $50 billion valuation. I, I honestly don't get it. And just understand why this is happening now. There's a lot of hype around chips because of AI, and that's what they're capitalizing on, that, that demand for semiconductor plays on AI. That's not what this company is. It's a really important company, specifically in the mobile phone ecosystem, because its chips use low power. It's a giant there, but it's very much like Qualcomm. A lot of its greatest innovations are behind it. Uh, they still ship a ton of chips, 30 billion chips last year, but it's just not a growth company, yet they want a growth multiple because the majority shareholder is in trouble. I don't like the setup. I'm avoiding it. Okay. Uh, Joe, what about you? I still think that whether it's NVIDIA or whether it's Broadcom, these are the way that you get the exposure. LAM Research, yes, you could be there as well. Um, you could look at AMD, but to me, NVIDIA and a more reasonably valued Broadcom are going to get you the exposure that you need in the semis. And I think it's as simple as that. And what's interesting about that is that everyone who is, I don't want to use the word betting against, but not believing and suggesting that the valuation is extreme and that this is a bubble that is building an AI, Look at what NVIDIA has done and what Broadcom has done in By their the way, ability. AMD's Lisa Sue, sorry to cut you off, was making comments during our show, um, I think at a conference, which were positive not only about AI and the potential and what they're already seeing as well, but in terms of PCs and that market getting better in her mind. I mean, that stock's positive. I don't know, you know, 
I think it went green on the, the positive comments that she had. It's not getting a huge jump, but nonetheless, a stock that was in the red, she has made some positive comments. I just wanted to get that out there since you were talking about yeah. AI, and this happened within the last 30 minutes, I think. Yeah, I, I, listen, I don't, I don't think people are looking at semis right now and saying, okay, we're seeing improvement in, in PCs, so we're going to buy those stocks. It's all about the AI story. The point I'm trying to make is before universally we're ready to dismiss NVIDIA and Broadcom and this so-called price reaction that was overwhelmingly negative and was an indicator that the market itself had reached an inflection point. Let's allow for time. Let's understand that the revenue was there. The growth is there. The potential for 50% revenue growth over coming quarters is there. And you know what? The price performance wasn't that bad. What was the high in NVIDIA? 502? It's 485. What was the high in Broadcom? 923? It's 880 right now. So price is not telling you that this is a peak. All right. Up next, Mike Santoli. He'll be right here with his midday word next. Welcome back. Senior Markets Commentator Mike Santoli is here with his midday word. What are you thinking about today? Well, we have yields uh, making a run at the old highs, and it's the big growth stocks holding up the market, just like everybody always expects, right? So it's, it's a little bit of a reversal, and it, I think it's it, part of this theme, which is the, the moves higher in longer-term bond yields creates the anxiety, I think, because it's about restraint on growth. And so the landing will be less soft if the, if the economy can't handle yields. Uh, industrials, a real weak point today. You wonder if that's just kind of a, a little bit of a you know, momentary rotation away because they have been a leadership group. That's why small caps are down as much as they are. Mm. That's why mid caps are down much, as much mm-hmm. as they are. Mid caps have three times the S&P 500's weighting in industrials, and small caps have twice the weighting. So it seems like the overnight global PMI is weak enough that it maybe is just putting a wet blanket on that. So it doesn't change the overall story. I think everyone is kind of in this. Was that really a perfect jobs number on Friday? Or does it show you that there's risk of further deceleration in a pl- to a point where it would be uncomfortable? Not going to settle it today, but it seems like that's still the debate that's raging. Is energy a boon or a headwind? I mean, energy yeah. stocks, you know, if you don't want last year, right? I mean, energy stocks yeah. outperformed everything in Absolutely. a bad year for the market. And, and for good reason, everybody is pointing out they do seem like they've reasserted leadership at this point. I mm-hmm. think a boon uh, until... They're, they're an impediment to growth. Right now, um, you know, I don't think that you're really inflicting that much pain in terms of energy cost. Uh, we've been here multiple times before in the mid to high 80s in crude uh, in terms of the, the per gallon price at the pump relative to average hourly earnings. I mean, we're, it's nothing special here. We're in the middle of the long-term range. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that's going to be the thing that pushes us over unless it really spikes in, in a sudden way because usually that's the kind of jolt that uh, is required to really knock the consumer off. All right. See you closing bell. Uh, this is Mike Santoli. We'll see him later on on the closing bell, obviously. Final trades are next. Closing bell, 3 o'clock Eastern time. All right, we're going to mix it up. John Mowry, Eric Johnston, Mono Imano. One on one about the market. One's a big bull, the other's been a big bear. See what they deliver this afternoon. I hope you'll join me then. Anastasia Amoroso, Jason Snipe. Hope you'll join me. Final trades, Josh Brown. Uh, Arista Networks looks like it wants to take out 200. I am staying long the name. Thank you. Jenny Harrington. 
Okay, I've used this one before, Crown Castle. So they'll return to real FFO growth in about two years. It's being overly discounted now. The dividend will continue to grow by two to three percent. You've got a six and a quarter yield. They do cell phone towers. Like, talk about a defensive place to be. Collect your dividends. <laughs> Joe Terra Nova. Energy, OIH. I like Josh's trade, but I think you could also own the OIH. That gives you a little bit of high beta exposure. Okay, three sectors positive today, led by energy up one and almost one and a half percent. Otherwise, you've got uh, tech and comp services in the green, too. I will see you on closing bell at three o'clock Eastern time. In the meantime, the exchange starts now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer. It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions.